0: Please would you turn in your Bibles to John's Gospel, John chapter 15. Uh, Last week we considered together John chapter 15, verses 1 to 11, where Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches, and we considered uh, five wonderful blessings of abiding in Christ. And uh, this morning we're going to continue and uh, read from verses 12 to 17 uh, of this What really is one dialogue, um, but we're just considering it in two parts. So John chapter 15, let's read together from verses 12 to 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. so that you will love one another. Just so far in God's Word, please keep the Scriptures open uh, before you as we come to this part two of really just a short uh, study in John chapter 15, and this morning we do so under the heading of the blessings of Christian friendship. The blessings of Christian friendship. So let me ask or start by asking you this morning, how many friends do you have? Okay, just... Get the number going in your head there. How many friends do you have? Now, I did a little bit of online stalking this week, and some of you have over 500 friends. It's true, Facebook says so. Well, we live today more than any generation in history in a highly connected world. We have cell phones, we have the internet. Email, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and so the list goes on. We can be lured into thinking that we are actually part of a very closely knit community of people, people we call our friends, when in actual fact the opposite is true. But after spending some time again this past week looking at what Jesus has to say about friendship, I must confess that if I was to reevaluate the couple hundred people on Facebook who claim to be my friend and who I claim to be their friends, only a handful of people would measure up to what Jesus really calls a friend in Scripture. You see, for many years, the, the general way of Western society has been telling us that we don't really need friends, friendships are messy. Friendships require commitment. They carry responsibilities. Friendships need hard work and and maintenance. Friendships hold you accountable. This is all old school. This is sometimes even considered to be repressive. After all, products of the enlightenment, we've been told that we are free agents. We are independent creatures. We are masters of our own destiny, and friendships are a burden to that. Friendships will rob you of being able to pursue your own personal goals of success and financial independence and personal pleasure. You really don't need friends. Actually, life is much simpler without them unless unless you can find friends who will help you achieve all your personal goals. Those friends are okay. And so friendship today has become more about what I can get out of the relationship than what I am to give to it. So as a result of this thinking, we, we find very little true sense of community in our society today. And this affects all our relationships. It affects obviously friendships with people that we get along with. It, it affects family relationships between parents and children and siblings, it affects marriages, it it affects without doubt our relationships with other Christians in the church. Everything's been affected by the selfish, me-centered, consumer-minded individualism of the world that we live in. And so it is important today to expose, I think, this modern, sentimental, and superficial idea of friendship before we come to God's Word today. Otherwise, we're going to import the view of friendship in the world around us, the view of friendship that we are probably so immersed in that we will then use that as the lens to read the language of Scripture this morning. We're going to miss what Jesus is telling us in this passage of the radical nature of of true friendship, friendship with Jesus and friendship between brothers and sisters in Christ. So let me ask you the question again, how many friends do you have? Friends who are committed to you unconditionally, friends who you spend regular time with in person, friends who you can truly say love you and you love them. Friends who hold you accountable. Friends who hold you responsible for your actions. Friends who actually know your heart's desires. Friends who weep with you when you weep and rejoice with you when you rejoice. Maybe your 800 or 500 or 300 friends in cyber world actually, if you are honest, reduced to five or maybe ten in reality. Now, my next question is, of those five or 10 genuine friends, how many are sitting alongside of you in church this morning? I'm sure that most of you uh, would accept a friend request from me if I sent you one on WhatsApp or Facebook or Instagram. But how many of you know me? How many of you know my struggles? How many of you know what brings me joy? How many of you have ever been into my home? How many of you have ever invited me into your home? Not to discuss some problem or issue, but just to spend time together so that we can get to know each other. How many of you can genuinely say that you love me and know that I really love you? That I would be willing to die for you? If not, then the word friend doesn't mean what Jesus says it means. Just imagine this. Can you imagine sending an email to all your friends on Facebook saying that you want to, it's January 2024, you want to clean up your contact list and only those friends on Facebook who are willing to die for you should reply and they will be kept as friends and the rest will be deleted. How many would you be left with? Hopefully your spouse. Um. (laughs) See, we've totally lost the concept of friendship, haven't we? We have confused it with acquaintance or contacts or colleagues or or network. And so we not only live in our marriages and family and community with wishy-washy understanding of friendship, but we bring that into the church and we think it's all okay when in actual fact, what we really are is a bunch of acquaintances who pass each other by, maybe once a week, with a smile and a polite greeting. Now I know much of what I've said is a generalization, and it's also affected by our various cultural backgrounds. I think it's more of a problem in English context than in Afrikaans context. It's less of an issue in the African culture with a strong sense of community than in the European culture with a stronger sense of individualism. Uh, it's perhaps less of a problem in a smaller city where everyone knows one another than in a, in a large city like Johannesburg. But even with all these different perspectives, the problem, I think, is pervasive, I remember when I went to university back in the early 1990s, I was studying at Tucky's in Pretoria, which in those days was still fully Afrikaans, and i had grown up English. And, and so I would greet my classmates in the morning with a standard English, how's it? Expecting the standard response of how's it back. Only to be shocked, the first time I said how's it to the guys in my class, they said, fine, thanks, and you. <laughs> And it caught me totally off guard. I wasn't really interested in how they were doing and they certainly didn't know me well enough to know how I was doing. I was just being polite in a way that required no commitment and no responsibility. And I don't think much has changed today. We, we greet each other, we say, how are you? We, we don't really mean how are you, it's just a greeting. And we kind of expect the the fine thanks in you back. We are shocked when someone says, Well, I'm really struggling. Oh, I didn't know what to do with that. So, having a, a little bit of thought about this modern understanding of friendship, I want us to turn this morning to God's Word and to see what Jesus says about true friendship, and particularly what he's saying about friendship as the church, as a community of believers. Last time we looked at the the blessings of abiding in Christ, we saw these five incredible promises from verses 1 to 11 to those of us who abide in Jesus as branches in the vine. We are those who will have a life of abundant uh, fruitfulness. There will be this unlimited answer to prayer, complete assurance of salvation, an ever-deepening experience of God's love. And complete and abounding joy. If you missed that message last week, I would encourage you to just uh, watch online and I can send you the notes uh, to see what blessings are ours who abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. But as with all of these blessings of God in Scripture, God's blessings are never meant to just terminate on us. God has not saved us to to live our lives in isolation and independence. There is no such thing as an independent Christian in the kingdom of God. I, I often hear of people who claim to be Christians, but they never go to church. And that doesn't make sense to me. Because the very essence of the gospel is that Jesus became one of us. He he lived amongst us to die in order to save us as a people for himself. Yes, we are made up of individuals, but we are people which are part of a group that numbers thousands upon thousands, a, a great multitude of every tribe and language and nation and tongue, who the scripture calls the bride of Christ, That's being prepared for the marriage feast of the Lamb. And so to hear someone say, well, I love Jesus, but being a member of a church, it's just not for me. It's totally foreign to the scriptures and all that Jesus actually came to accomplish on earth. A lone ranger Christian is someone who says, I want to be married to Jesus, but I don't want to be part of his bride. It really doesn't make sense. So here in John 15, Jesus comes and he gives us this incredible list of promises and, and blessings which are ours in Christ in verses one to 11. But knowing our sinful hearts and our tendency to selfishness and independence, Jesus comes now in verse 12, and look at what he says. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I Have loved you. In other words, I have not poured out all my incredible blessings on you so that you will be the most happiest, most fruitful, most assured, and loved and joyful branch in isolation. One branch on the tree. No, I've poured out all these blessings on you so that you will love the other branches. Verse 1 to 11 was all about our relationship to Jesus as the vine, and now verses 12 to 17 is all about our relationships to the other branches on the vine. Think about this. If, if you are in the vine and I am in the vine, then we have the same lifeblood of Jesus flowing through our spiritual veins We have the same purpose, we have the same goal, the same joy, the same relationship to the vine. It should follow then that I should love you. You should love me with the love of Jesus which is flowing through each one of us. So Jesus says five things in these verses about Christian friendship which creates this true community in Christ. In the first place, we see that Christian friendship is foundational. We see that in verse 12a. What Jesus says here in verse 12 is really at the, the core, it's the, at the root, it's the foundation of being a Christian. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another. Now, why do I say that this is foundational? Well, because Jesus is just reiterating What he said previously, if you want to turn back, I'll bring it up on the screen as well, John 13, verse 34, look at what Jesus said. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And here's why it's foundational. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. So Christianity, according to Jesus, is fundamentally, foundationally communal. It's a community thing. It's, a, it's, it's not something that you can call yourself a Christian if you do not love your brother or sister in Christ. In actual fact, it's, it's the very evidence that we love one another in the church that Jesus says proves that you are Christians. This is the way by the way, that that one of the reasons why online church and and watching a service during live stream can never measure up to being the church because this foundational dimension of loving one another is entirely missing. Later on in, in his first letter, John goes on to expand what he says here. 1 John 4 verse 19, he says, we love each other, that's the implication, because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So to claim to be a Christian this morning, even if you have 2000 friends on Facebook, but you do not love your fellow members of the Honey Ridge Baptist Church, you have not understood what it means to be a Christian. Love for one another in the local body of believers, in Christian community, it's foundational to what Jesus came to do for us on the cross. He came to firstly break down all the vertical spiritual barriers because of sin and the horizontal social barriers because of sin and to transform us then into a household of faith, into a body of which Jesus is the head, where the Father and the Son and the Spirit live amongst us. We can have all the right doctrine, we can sing all the the best songs, we can have all the outward forms of obedience, but if we have not love for one another, we are but a sounding gong and a clanging cymbal, we are just a bunch of people making noise on a Sunday. But there's no music, there's no spiritual life the way Jesus is speaking of here. So Christian friendship, I need us to understand, is foundational to who we are as the body of Christ. Secondly, Jesus says that Christian friendship uh, is sacrificial. We see this in the second half of verse 12 running through to verse 14. Uh, let's look at those verses. It's sacrificial. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And the command is that you love one another. Now clearly the disciples at this point can can be excused for not fully understanding what Jesus said about the extent of his love for them. They were still living on on that side of the cross. They did not yet know in detail what was soon gonna happen outside of Jerusalem as Jesus would be taken up to a cross on Golgotha and crucified for their salvation. But you and I have no excuse. We understand, we have the complete revelation of scripture. We understand the extent of Jesus' love for us, that it was entirely sacrificial. Now there is something quite profound in verse 13 and 14. See, up to this point, there's only one person in the Bible who has been called a friend of God. And that was Abraham. We could possibly refer to Moses, uh, where it speaks about Moses speaking to God face-to-face as a man would his friend. So maybe Moses and Abraham, but generally speaking, the concept of a holy, righteous, creator God being the friend of sinners is foreign in Scripture. But here comes Jesus as God in the flesh, and he says to us that he's about to lay down his life, God in the flesh, for whom? For his friends, and we are his friends if we keep his commands. Let me just take a little detour here on verse thirteen. I mean, we've all watched our movies, I think, or, or read of soldiers in war who give their lives for their friends, and we can kind of think that this is what Jesus is referring to here. And I think in one sense, on a very practical level, that's what he's saying. But on another level, if you think of a a fireman or a soldier or a parent who perhaps dives into a freezing lake to save a drowning child, what they did, as wonderful, as, as compassionate, as heroic, as commendable as that action may have been, it's nothing compared to what Jesus is talking of here, of Jesus laying down his life for us. Why is that? Well, any human being who gives his life for another was going to die anyway. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Our life does really not belong to us. It's not really ours to give because we're all going to die. And so if a human being gives up his life or her life to save another, you're really just giving up what you had left of your life in order to save the other person's life, which is not really giving them life, you're simply just extending their life a little bit longer until they die. But when we turn to Jesus, we see he is the only person who actually possessed life in himself, eternal life, life which was not subject to death because in him was no sin. It's the wages of sin that is death. So for Jesus to say, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, singular for many, he's not speaking here in some kind of sentimental way of a brothers in arms going to battle, dying, taking a bullet for your friend. No, he's speaking here in the deeply profound and prophetic way of God in the flesh dying to save sinners. Jesus says greater love, the greatest love for someone is to lay down their life, not to have it taken from him, but to lay it down, to give it up, so that those who are dead already, that's the amazing thing. When Jesus gives up his life for us, he does it for those who are already spiritually dead, Physically, we are dying. Spiritually, we are dead. And we are given spiritual life. We are given eternal life. And we are given resurrected, glorified, physical body life in heaven one day. Jesus says, I'm going to do that for you. For my friends. Not for everyone, but for you who are my friends. I'm going to give up my life, which is mine to keep. And I'm going to die your death. And in return, I'm going to give you eternal life. And I'm doing this for you because I love you. That's the gospel. Now with that detour behind us, look again at what Jesus says here. This is my commandment that you love one another. Take a deep breath. As I have loved you. By laying down my life for you, by sacrificially taking from you the death and the punishment you deserve, giving you what you did not deserve, eternal life and joy and blessing, just as I have loved you, now you love one another. True Christian community is sacrificial. When last have you loved someone even remotely like that? Thirdly, Jesus says that Christian friendship is personal. Verse 15, just look at the tenderness with which Jesus speaks here. He's not interested in legalistic servants who obey him out of fear or duty. No, Jesus desires what God desires, which is a relationship of friendship, personal friendship of love and sharing and communication. Verse 15 no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing but I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I've, I've shared it with you. I've made known to you. Held nothing back from you. So what Jesus is asking us to do on earth, to love each other, we need to understand firstly finds its pattern in the Trinity And secondly, then, only in Christ's love for us. I'm indebted to Tim Keller here for for shedding such wonderful light on this. Let me just quote Keller. It's a little bit of a lengthy paragraph, but follow with me. Jesus says, As the Father and I have been eternally friends, so I befriend you. What Jesus is saying is that something in the Trinity is the basis for all human relationships. A lot of people who are critical of of Christianity will pick on the Trinity, and they'll say, how strange. The Trinity doesn't make sense. Three persons in one, one God in three persons, it doesn't make sense. By the way, says Keller, it is a tough one. It's a tough one to figure out. It is, but I want you to consider this. Without the doctrine of the Trinity, the world does not make sense. Because you see, what the Bible tells us is that before time, when there was nothing else, in the beginning, before the beginning, from all eternity, before there was anything that was, there was friendship. Friendship was never created. There was never a time in which friendship was not, because from all eternity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were knowing and loving and delighting in each other. They were planning and talking and communicating with each other. Friendship is at the roots of reality. It's at the bottom of all things. It's something that is more profound than existence in itself because in a sense it existed before there was existence. And that alone explains just why loneliness is such a cosmic thing. Think of this for a second. When Adam was created, Adam, the first human being, perfect, put in the Garden of Eden in paradise, right away we are told that God looked at Adam and said, here's something that's very not good. He's alone. He's lonely. And someone might ask, well, why was Adam lonely? I'll tell you why. Don't forget, there was no sin Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect. Adam was lonely because he was perfect. Adam was lonely because he was like God, and therefore since he was like God, he had to have someone to love, someone to work with, someone to talk to, someone to share with. All of our problems, other problems like anger, anxiety, fear, cowardness, they arise out of sin, they arise out of our imperfections. Loneliness is the one problem you have because you're made in the image of God. Loneliness, in a sense, is the one problem that arises out of our perfection. Are you lonely now? Have you been lonely? Do you know why? Not because there's something wrong with you. My dear friends, the less you need friends, the less you are like God. The reason you are lonely and get lonely is because you're not a tree. Trees don't get lonely. You're not a machine. Machines don't get lonely. Because you're a human being built in the image of God, you're lonely because you are like him. End quote. Do you see then why the concept of an independent lone ranger, I don't need any other friends type Christian is makes no sense. So as we consider our relationships with one another, we see that the basis for our love is Christ's love for us, and the basis of Christ's love for us is the love that exists between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. It's intensely personal. God's love for Jesus is personal. Jesus' love for the Spirit is personal. The son's love of us is personal, and so too it must flow then that our love for one another is personal, must be personal. Fourthly then, Christian friendship is missional. And here in verse 16, we see something very interesting, something which is almost out of place. Jesus starts in verse 16 to talk about the doctrine of election, Now, what has that got to do with with the flow of his teaching about friendship and community? Well, I would argue it has everything to do with it. Let me ask you this. What is the basis for your human friendships? Not the superficial ones now. I'm talking about real friendships. See, no matter how hard you try, you cannot become my friend unless I choose to be your friend. And I cannot become your friend unless you choose to be my friend. Friendship is a relationship of choice. But here's where things get all nasty, because most of our friendships are a a choice based on selfish choosing. What am I going to get out of the relationship? Is the person popular? Are they wealthy? Do they have a nice holiday home? Will they be influential to my career or whatever? We, We cannot help but evaluate people in terms of what I will get out of this relationship our common interests, our common likes or dislikes, we, we naturally choose friends who are just like us or who will benefit us. Now this is where what Jesus says cuts to the heart. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus comes and says that he chose us. The God of the universe chose us to be his friends. Just pause for a moment and contemplate that. Why? Why would God do that? Because we share similar interests with him? Because we are influential? because we are of noble birth, because He will gain something from us? It's ridiculous. Listen to the Apostle Paul as he speaks about God's choice of us in in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26. He says, "'Consider your calling, your choosing, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish,' in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Third time, God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Here in John 15, Jesus wants us to see that our friendship with God, his love for us, it's missional. God choosing us was not so that God would get something which he never had. No, God choosing us is so that we would get something which we never had, which is a relationship with him. God in his love reached out and he chose us who were dead in our sins. We were alone in this world. And he loved us sacrificially and personally and missionally to save us from ourselves, to save us from this lonely thing we called life, and to save us from an eternity of punishment without God. He chose us. We did not choose him. And now he explains how he wants us to live in the light of that. Let's read on in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. We saw this last time. God desires the fruit of a maturing Christian. It's part of what flows out of being abiding in the vine as we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus. But here he says something, I think, additional to that. Here he tells us that he has chosen us and appointed us to go and bear fruit. Jesus is explaining here that being a Christian, is, it's missional, It does not just stay here between friends, a little holy huddle on a Sunday. No, it it reaches out, it, it goes beyond, it has feet, it has hands, it has hearts which reach others because quite simply, what is it, what is that fruit that will last? What is it, the fruit that will abide? The only fruit that will ultimately last is the fruit of leading someone else to Jesus. That fruit will last into eternity. And so Jesus says, just as I came and chose you missionally, loved you, I left my comfort zone, I left my rights and and my relationships of perfect joy in the Trinity in order to love you while you were still sinners, so now I want you to go. I want you to go. I want you to love the unlovely. I want you to love the needy and the brokenhearted. I want you to love the, the messy and the confused I want you to love the poor and the sick. I want you to befriend others with gospel love. I want you to go to those who were just like you were when I set my love upon you. I want you to show them my love through your love. Now, if that scares you, if you think it's gonna be hard to do what Jesus is asking you to do here, if you think that you can't do it because, well, Clint, I'm just not that kind of a person, Look at the remainder of the verse. Whatever you ask the Father, he will give it to you. As Jesus sends you out to go and bear fruit, ask the Father whatever you want in his name, in the name of Christ, and he will give it to you. There is nothing that brings God the Father greater joy than seeing Christians love others with the same love with which he showed us in Christ. So ask him, ask him. So Christian friendship and community, Jesus says, is foundational to who we are. It's sacrificial, it's personal, it's missional, it reaches out to those in need. And in, in the final place, then Jesus ends where he began with Christian friendship being intentional. It's not just gonna happen by itself. Look again at verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Again, don't ever believe a person who says that the Old Testament is all about law and the New Testament is all about grace and love. No, the whole Bible is about law and grace and love. We can see that right before us. Jesus says, because of my grace, because I've loved you, with this eternal love of of God befriending you, Listen carefully, because I've loved you, undeserving, unlovely, I've loved you, now I command you to love one another. There could be no clearer statement of law than this, these things I command you, but there could be no clearer statement of love, love one another just as I have loved you. I'm not asking you to do this mechanically or legalistically or religiously, says Jesus. I'm simply asking you to show to others the same love and the same grace which you have received from me. And if you do, it shows that you are truly my disciples. It doesn't make you my disciple. It reveals that you are my disciple because what I'm requiring you is not possible if you're not one of my disciples. And so that's the challenge for us as as Honey Ridge Baptist Church this morning. How many friends do you have? True friends. Friends that you love with the love of Jesus. Friends who you would be willing to sacrifice for. Your time, your money, your comforts, your resources. Yes, maybe even your life as we read, uh, see videos like we saw this morning in Iran. Friends that you've opened up to, that you can trust, that can trust you. How many of those friends do you have in this church? It's not going to happen unless you intentionally obey Jesus. Just think about those then who are not saved, either here or outside the church. Where is the mission mindedness in your relationships? to befriend people inside and outside the church who need to know the love of Jesus. I read of a church in New York that was doing a huge amount of charity. They had a soup kitchen that ran every day of the week and they were feeding large numbers of inner city homeless people. And then the pastor one day changed what they were doing. He reduced the number of, of soup kitchen meals to one-third of what they had been serving for the previous years. And many people were upset. The homeless community were upset. People in the church were upset. And when he was asked why he had reduced their ministry to one-third, he said this, because with the volunteers we have, that's the maximum amount of people that we can befriend. Not the maximum amount of people that we can feed, but the maximum amount of people that we can befriend. You see, people aren't going to see the love of Jesus through a bowl of soup or a sandwich or a food parcel or a donation of 50 rand. May we never stop doing those things. I'm not asking for that, but those things are not the point. Jesus is saying, what are we doing to befriend the lost with the love of Jesus? Because it's through our friendships with them that they will find friendship with God through Jesus Christ. So friendship, Christian friendship is intentional. It won't happen without being obedient to Jesus. So as we conclude, we have a, a wonderful passage of Scripture that gives us a, a list of, of benefits of true Christian friendship. We are no longer servants of God. We are His friends. We've been adopted into His family We are friends with Jesus because he's not held anything back from us. No, he's chosen us, he's blessed us, he's equipped us, he's commissioned us to go out and bear fruit that will last. Can I just say something very practically as we conclude? This kind of friendship cannot happen online. Can't. This kind of friendship does not primarily happen on a Sunday. We are just too many and time is too short. Now this kind of friendship happens when you intentionally join a small group, when you intentionally get involved in the ministries of the church. It happens when you go outside of your little clique that stands around the same coffee table every Sunday outside and invites others to join in with you. It it happens when you invite people into your home for a meal. It happens when you meet fellow Christians for coffee. It happens when you visit those who are stuck at home or sick in hospital. It happens when you pray to God and you ask Him to give you this love for others and for the opportunity to show them that love. Jesus has just said, Ask the Father anything in my name that follows off the going. To bear fruit, So as you go to bear fruit, ask God, give me a desire, give me a love, give me the opportunity for bearing fruit that will point others to Jesus, and you will see your prayers answered like never before. May these words of Jesus draw us firstly closer to himself, as we understand and appreciate more and more just how privileged we are to be friends of Jesus. And then may God grant us the desire and the obedience to be His personal, sacrificial, intentional friendships in this church, to pursue them. And then that will act as a springboard for us to missionally reach out to those in our community who desperately need to discover Jesus as their friend and Savior. That is the fruit. That will ultimately abide. May the Lord help us in that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just come before you and we marvel afresh again this morning that we who are so weak and so broken and so sinful can be called friends of the Most High God. And not just friends, but adopted as children into your family. Oh Lord, forgive us for becoming so familiar with these spiritual terms and concepts that we've actually lost the weight and the impact of what they mean. Lord Jesus, help us, we pray, as we learned last week and again today, to abide in you to truly grow our friendship and our relationship with you through the power of your Holy Spirit at work within us, that we might be a community of your people, branches on your vine here at Honey Ridge that will bear much fruit for the kingdom of God, that as the world looks in on us and they see us loving one another, as you have loved us and as we love you, That they out there who are lonely, desperate for the love of God, would see us and be drawn to us and so find Jesus Christ, we pray. We ask this in his name and for his glory. Amen.